Welcome to Cerulea, normally a wonderful world of adventure under a mild, no, under a multicolored sky. <laughs> Today, average adventure. No, Today, I'm joking. A joking. mild discussion under a typical sky of just uh, a trio of friends talking about is normal blue, normal blue, not a cloud to be seen out this window yonder. Ha! As we bake in the Australian seems. summer. <laughs> and it is nearly the time of that event that people get so excited about. I'm Box- Damien Ashcroft. Boxing, Boxing Day sales. Let's be honest. I am joined by regular cast members Carolina Furman. Hello. And Ashley Bletchenden. Greetings and salutations. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you say. Signing <laughs> in for Elizabeth Savage, who's oh, not she with us today. That. She does that. Ah. Uh, the greetings and salutations person. What do you, you do? What do you say? Hello. Yeah, I've already been doing the intro by the time I'm introducing myself, so it's kind uh. of there's a whole bunch going on. Shows much oh, this is my life attention. now. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're coming at you rather than with a canon D&D episode uh, with the aptly titled What is D&D and how do we play it even talk back? So one assumes people listening have listened to a few episodes of the podcast, but perhaps you've just discovered us and you're like, what is this this game that all the, all the kids these days are talking about? What is it? It's a tabletop role-playing mm. game. That's the official title, right? TTRPG. Oh, yeah. I've learned something new already. It's got an abbreviation. It is a fantasy role-playing game. Genre is a big thing. Like, There's a lot of stuff you can do with D&D, but fantasy is what it's built for. Mm. And it really comes from the genesis of like Dungeons and Dragons. It's about sort of like delving in Dungeons and Fighting Dragons when it was released by Gary Gygax in the 70s, but oh. it's evolved into a much more immersive and inclusive and vibrant experience. Did the dragons live in the dungeons? Typically the dragon was at the bottom of the dungeon, yeah, with a big hoard of treasure. Not a cave. So, like you, Your dungeon might take the form of a cave, but I think, yeah. It's one of those things about like a dragon in a dungeon that's always got me. It's like, where does the dragon go potty? Where does the dragon go potty? You always have such good questions, Carolyn. Yeah, <laughs> I always think about uh, plumbing. You're on the real um, that's, that's what I'm always on, because um, like, you have that in like, in like The Hobbit. In like the Misty Mountains, mm. you have that dragon that's there for like 50, 60 years. Where does he poop? Maybe there's the cave no, just no, smells so bad and no, everyone's like, Ugh. Well, he can't get out. Like, Smog goes and has a fly around. So one assumes, like, you know, he stretches his wings and empties his bowels and then goes back to sleep on his pile of yeah, treasure. Yeah, but I thought it was kind of cool that after a point he got, like, he got too big because mm. he ate too much. And then couldn't get out again? And he couldn't get out again because in yeah. the movie, at least, he had to, like, smash his way out. Yeah, right. So, like, you just know, like, somewhere in there, there's just, like, one room. I open it up and it's just stacked. <laughs> just stacked as a dragon Stacked turd. with, like, I just, like, close that door again. I'd be like, you know what? Not yeah. now. Maybe it just happens once a year, you know? It's like a Christmas yeah. present. Okay, so there's, like, even just one vent. He could make his waste and then just burn it. Dragon That's, fire. Oh, true. Cleanse he burn his own waste. Yeah, 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 it's not a bad idea, actually. It That's would be so stinky for a bit, but, you know, that would eventually I mean, evaporate out. Economical. There you go. Eco. Solving problems one it's at a time. Not very eco. Maybe a lot of methane in the air for that, yeah. Yeah, a lot of methane. Nice. Dragons typically aren't terrifically environmentally conscious, <laughs> depending on Just which law you're into. Um, I mean, at least... At least Western dragons. Mm. I don't know that much about like other yeah. parts of the world. There are good dragons, there are bad dragons. D&D has many dragons. One thing nice that is big in D&D that I'm like actually not a fan of at the end of the day is the whole like metallic dragon, chromatic dragon. There's this uh-huh. divide if you go into the monster manual of 
shiny dragons who are good and non-shiny dragons who are bad. Oh. I was like, ah, seems kind of formulaic. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of any law that dictates whether or not someone's good by like a physical characteristic. Mm. That always seems like a little dangerous to me. Mm. Yeah, it's a trope, you know. There's all this strength in like building something on a trope because it's simple. People get it right away, and then you can take it for a walk. Well, I was actually talking to a friend about this today. That like Terry Pratchett did quite a lot of that. Like mm. particularly his earlier books, they were sort of more direct parodies of "This Is a Story, Here Is the Parody." Mm. But then as his his books progressed and he wrote more, and his style developed, it was less mocking particular like Conan Barbarian or whatnot, and more concepts. And, like, the thing that he was really good at was he knew he understood people, so the good parts of people and the bad parts, mm-hmm. and just, like, the silly parts. And I think that's one of the things that you can do with D&D as well. Like, when you're either playing as a character or you're in, or you're a DM, you can kind of go, okay, well, I'm starting off with this base character. Of, there might be a wizard, there might be a warlock or a dwarf or whatever, but then I'm actually going to flesh them out and make them a person and use the elements from the fantasy world to to enrich them, and I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love starting from tropes, starting from stereotypes. Just It's an easy grab, and then you get the base layer. and Then a, you can f- challenge it, make it more complex it later on. As you go, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like this. I've got a friend of mine who I bounce like a lot of ideas off for the podcast. He did the first drawings of mm-hmm. Elsie and Mitochondria and Mrs. Mugwort out on the Instagram feed. Check it's it out. It's very cool. And he often like writes comics of his own, and he's always like, oh, I don't know if I'm being like too two-dimensional with my characters here or like uh, I just want this person to fill this role but like I don't want to be that guy who's like he is you know the cool guy who doesn't care about any- what anyone thinks like is that a trope I'm like well the first time you meet them they get three lines because it's a small comic strip they should be a trope you don't have the time to actually have a three-dimensional character until you've met them three times yeah and a trope isn't a cliche mm. tropes are just things that people have noticed that happen in stories I would argue it's physically impossible to avoid tropes what you don't don't want is cliches and I guess it's kind of like people right when you first meet a person you might have some impression of who they're like based on you know what they look like or how they act and you have to challenge that pre-existing view and yeah. get to know people better and you figure out that you know people have many layers it, like yeah. an onion first impression is only yeah. the first impression yeah. well that's that one of the things that makes people people but also fleshes our characters is their contradictions mm. so you might look at a person and be like oh well you look like a stay-at-home mom and you, you must be into reality TV and da 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 which is a total cliche, but you might get to know them better and be like, oh, well, they actually love going to heavy metal concerts and, like, they drive Formula One on the weekends or whatever. Like, you can't look at a person and go, this is who you are, but also contradictions in terms of you might have a character or a person who's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a very upstanding person and I'd never do this kind of thing, but then when no one's looking, they absolutely do. And I think having that, that contradiction of what I do and what I say are two different things. It's how you can kind of yeah, yeah. flesh a character out as well. And it's also like who you are to different people. Like, that's what um, Elizabeth does really well with yeah. her characters. You can see how she acts with different people in different ways which yeah. is really great wish I thought of that nah too late now yeah. <laughs> define a person by their relationships yeah yeah it's very good yeah like professional Carolina is very different to like improv Carolina who's different to you know just hanging out with my wife mm. Carolina mm. they all have different faces I did a great improv workshop called the three faces of the same character which kind of was yeah. you know, breaking that whole idea down of like when you've got your one character but like you can visit them at work you can visit them at home yeah, um, yeah. you can visit your orc 
in their tent, you can visit them on the battlefield where they're a bloodthirsty monster masher. Well, what I've learned from this is we're all hexagonal onions. Many sides. (laughs) Many sides, many layers. (laughs) Ah, yes. Isn't that a book as well, The Thousand Faces of the Hero or whatever? Maybe. One of the the baseline fundamental books about heroes where it goes into all of the answering the call of adventure or resisting the call and like what kinds of hero you are because like on a fundamental level like Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter are if you just look at like their base tropes are the same character like they're they're mm. orphan children who find that they have this magic ability yeah. and they go out and they have to fight wizard Hitler or magic Hitler or whatever yeah. but they're obviously very different stories I'm a huge fan of archetype. I lean her very heavily on it, uh, as evidenced by the the deities that we interact with, who are just like directly Jung's mythologues. Yeah, so you're talking about D and D, sort of starting in the started in 70s? the 70s. So it's been going strong for like 50, 60 years. We're in the fifth edition. I like completely derailed that big segue. Ah, I love um, a segue. What I like, and I, mean, I love a derail. We've got pretty different levels of experience around the table, which is cool because you get very different lenses and different brains. Uh, adapting to the game in different ways. Damien was actually came out of a D&D book. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you were birthed. You, you, were, you were born holding Didn't a D20. Have, yeah, that's <laughs> good. That works way better than mine. I, I kind of <laughs> said it on the go and I was like, uh, I was like, uh, yeah, you were born um, holding a D&D I, uh, book. Yeah, I think I was I was birthed onto a player's handbook. Like that was my crib growing up maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think um, so. They're pretty big, those books. Yeah, I definitely had the books to muck around with. I have, I have like enduring memories of like being a young kid because dad played all the time. Dad played in the 70s. The original OG. He's OG. Um, and he would have been playing like second edition with his friends when I was growing up in the late 90s and like six-year-old demos, just seeing these guys around the table and, you know, doing the I want to play with the grown-ups thing. And I just had like a clipboard folder and I had some mm. stickers on it. I would just like sit at the table with my folder because I'm like, everyone has sheets of paper, a rolling dice, they're sitting around talking and laughing like this is great. That's so adorable. It's That's brilliant. extremely wholesome. <laughs> yeah. And then when third edition came out in the year 2000, Dad broke the ice and was like, sat down with me and my brother on a Saturday and we're now, like, now, son, now is the time. It's time to play D&D. We'll talk about the birds and the bees later. <laughs> yeah. First, did you learn about it through D&D? Yeah. Uh, well, um, I won't say I learned about it through D&D, but there was some exploration in, in my uh, pubescent years in that direction. So, important question. Yeah. They play D&D in Stranger Things. What version are they playing there? They play... I want to say first edition D&D and Stranger Things, I think. And they have the little um, pieces. Do yeah, people often play with pieces? pieces? People often play with pieces. I've got a reasonable collection myself. The other ultra nerd hobby of Warhammer actually came into existence. The company that ended up creating that game were creating specifically just models for the game of D&D. Huh. Like they were a little workshop in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. They were just like churning out miniatures. They're like, ah, oh, they want skeletons. So I'll make a skeleton model and we'll sell those off and we'll make little men at arms and different go. things. And eventually people were like, I have enough of your miniatures that we could just like make up our own little game because we want to play as individual heroes in D&D. You know, we're one person. We are the hero that saves the world. But then when you've got 300 miniatures, you're like, I kind of want to use them all at once. And running a game with 300 characters and or monsters is incredibly grueling and time consuming and doesn't actually work out very well. It's not what the game is built for. I feel like miniatures and Warhammer is like one of those hobbies that I'm this close to playing, but it's a space constraint because I live in a shoebox. Mm, that's yeah. I've been playing pretty much for as long as I have substantial memories through third edition. I skipped fourth. I played it once and was like, no, thanks. We're going to talk about fourth edition, as I say. And then uh, when fifth ed mm. came along, I was like, Fight time to get back into the game. Had a bit of a renaissance when I finished uni. I was like, I have all this time. And like, I just read Lord of the Rings. I was like, I have to build my own campaign world right now. And I, and I got back into playing and then it was, it was on like that. What about y'all? I know 
Ashley started playing Force Aurelia. Yep. Apart from that, extra you created an improvised the theater show mm. that was kind of had oh, elements of D and D within it. Yes, I'm the giant dice adventurers. Adventurers. Yes, that was good fun. Yeah. yeah. I had played some not straight. D&D, but I had played some other role-playing games before. Mm. So I played Victoriana and I played, it was like kind of D&D, but it was like a Alice in Wonderland style thing. And I was just given a character and I was playing a paladin and I had no idea what that meant. So I kept doing very unpaladin things <laughs> and my friend kept getting very mad at me. And she was like, you're doing it wrong. Oh, you're going to yes. lose your powers. And I'm like, I don't understand. Um, and I played a very, very little amount when I was in college, but... It was not a pleasant experience because it was through a friend of a friend who only wanted me to play in the game so he could get in my pants. Mm. And uh, when he was unsuccessful, it soured mm. very quickly. So I didn't play D&D for a while. But Cerulee has been very good for making me like it again. <laughs> We get back in the chair. I like to nice. think I'm a pretty good game runner. But, you know, the what is it? With great power comes great responsibility and being like the whole, hey, I am the universe now. Yeah. It, it goes to your head. Like people can get kind of fucked up. And get controlling about like yeah. how the universe is. And it's like, yeah, this yeah. is my idea about <sighs> what, what the world is going to be now. And Oh, there's that whole attitude of like, I'm the DM and at any moment I can kill you. So like, you have to be afraid. Like, dude. Yeah, I'm going to kill your character. That's like, not a fun way to play a game. <laughs> also like, dude, these people don't have to be here. Yeah, <laughs> if they're yeah. having a good time, they will just leave. Yeah, leave. Yeah. Eat, eat. I like how you've created the world. Like, I feel like we have a good amount of... We can have a good amount of fun within mm. it and like, you know, test things and try things. It's, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's very collaborative, which mm. I like. Um, I remember in another, either a pre-session or the first session, I was like, yeah, I have 40 kids. And Damon was like, okay. Let's go with that. 40 kids. <laughs> yeah, that was in the session zero. <laughs> like, I don't know, about 40 maybe? He said it, it's canon. Yeah. <laughs> Playing the game with improv people, people who have taken the time to learn those basic skills of, of yes and and let's build a story together and support each other makes it a very good experience a lot of the time in that way. Well, you'd be more focused on telling a story and mm. making decisions that make sense rather than like being a murder hobo. Yeah. Or like you'd play it less willing to be the protagonist mm. rather than supporting other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you've done improv first, is my point. Yeah, there's a very, like, it's the point of the game to play the hero uh, or to play our hero, to be kind of, um, it's very aspirational. I can see where, especially coming from the roots, you know, this is like a nerd's game, quote unquote, where the people who are playing it a lot, especially like back in the day when it was first being produced, were the people who did not have a lot of power and control in their own social lives, say, especially like at school, if you were the, the nerd kid, the outcast, you get to go into your basement with a few of your friends and construct your own world where you're now, you know, the people with all the power. Mm, and I think that's a lot of the allure. Allure. Yeah. But yeah, in my home games, I've definitely, I think I've, I've run the gamut of all of the good and definitely some of the bad as well in my time. Like I've mm. learned to be a good DM the hard way. How do you think um, the Dungeons and Dragons like world has changed in the time you've been playing, like in terms of its position or like mm. who's playing it or how it's being played? Yeah. Or what well, do you to, to pull back to the tangent that we kicked off on of like the inherently evil creatures is like the biggest change that I've seen happening in the recent years. Again, D&D was very trope heavy. It was like creatures had dispositional alignments. It was like, yeah, we want the sort of Tolkien experience, the Lord of the Rings kind of thing where we have humans and elves and dwarves and the, the fantastical species that we think of as our heroic types. And we need our orcs and goblins and 
kobolds to be the the monsters that we fight it's good to have monsters that have hands and brains because then people at the table can actually kind of build plans and pit them against each other whereas it's just like mindless ravenous monsters you know it's a very different Mm. experience to imagine yourself playing against Mm. um so it was important to have evil monsters because at the end of the day DD has always been a game with violence at its center right let's like it's dudes with swords and people taking getting their hit points taken away so the lean back of like here are the monsters that it's okay to just go and kill them because they're inherently bad we don't need to have this whole fucking three month long in deep philosophical conversation about the internal morality of heroes fighting orcs because it's just it's okay because they're orcs and these days not so much the case anymore there's a lot more nuance and i love that you were using the example of orcs because i I have literally this is like peak nerd given a presentation on how orcs i don't think personally like at least lord of the rings orcs i don't think they're evil Mm. i don't think they're capable of being evil because they don't have choice yeah they are like slaves to darkness right yeah absolutely like sauron died and most of them went insane or um just wandered off into the wilderness and died like if you can't choose to do good then you can't choose to do evil and therefore you're not necessarily culpable for your the the acts of crime that you do of of the undead in the game as well you know you love your your necromancers your zombies your ghouls yeah that's good because i feel like i guess my early impressions of DD you kind of just get that fighty violent side and mm. it's not something that really like made me want to play you know yeah. I didn't even really realize that people even made characters and story like you know I didn't I just think I just had such a lack of understanding about what it was but yeah I guess the complexity of creating character and story mm. I don't know I find it far more interesting it's obviously great. it's fun to do fighting and stuff yeah. but like you know that probably gets a bit boring if you just do that the whole time I mean people would disagree with me obviously people but have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> D&D's always been driven by the imagination like there's no limit on what you can do with this game other than the limits you put on yourself as a group that sounds like life there's no limits on what you yeah. can do otherwise the limits you put um, on yourself oh. so a particular group will have kind of their focus i still like play with my dad regularly and even just yesterday like we were trying to pull off a heist mm. and we had a couple of bad stealth checks and the guards kind of took us aside and we're like all right yeah you guys want to go to the bathroom yeah come in here the bathroom's just over here this way because they're very much intended to take us into a back room and put some swords in us and so we just started fighting and we ended up it was like just <laughs> two groups of people uh we just beating the shit out of each other for like an hour and a half it was pretty good we yeah, had fun yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. um but we're in it for that and we're like the setting has been set up and it plays to that and mm. this is where session zero comes in take the time to talk about the kind of game you want to play before you actually start playing the game so that people are on the same page mm. as a tip for tip for new player yeah i'm always a big fan of doing something that will surprise demo but not annoy demo mm. so like it's not completely out of character like it makes perfect sense for my character to do it but it's not the obvious answer so like i mean that's really our goal most of the time isn't it yeah because yeah. <laughs> I, I want i want it to be interesting and i want it to be realistic because people don't always do the expected thing yeah so it was a thing particularly at this is a bit of a tangent, which, you know, I'm exceptionally good at. <laughs> but at the beginning of, like, season two, um, there was, like, a real call to adventure for the scavenger hunt. Yeah. And I was just, like, <laughs> Carolina, just like, nah, as nah, a nah. person, was like, absolutely, this is good fun. But as Mugwort, I was like, 
No, I'm good. Yeah, we had to convince you. I, like, you had to, like, actually actively convince my character. Like, even to be in the fight in the beginning, and you were like, mushrooms. And I was like, mm, mushrooms, though. Yeah. Yeah, no, surprising demo is my favorite thing. Like, in, was it season one, when we were at the party? When, and you dressed up like a rat. Yeah. And yeah. Was, like, you stuck up with the rat Your guys. face. Oh, I, I just so remember you just that. being like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's uh, one of the glories of being a DM. It's just, like, you can never kind of predict what yeah, road yeah. the party are going to take. So when you're designing your adventures... There's this real fine fucking line between knowing the situation. The DM's job is situation and circumstance. I need to know where we are. I need to know what's going on. I cannot be responsible for plot, right? Mm. Story is the decisions that the characters make in the order they make them in. You as a DM, if you even touch that thread before Mm. you come to the game, you're done fucked up because the players are going to go in a different direction and you're going to be on the back foot. Trying to push it. Yeah. That's it. A comfortable improviser is a good improviser. And as soon as you're out of your comfort zone, you're not operating at full flexibility and agility. Mm. So you try just not to... Or I'm already not expecting anything so that what happens is easier to adapt to. I think one of the things I really like doing is I I never necessarily know what what Mugwort is going to do, but I know who Mugwort is. So, like, I know she's a dedicated mother and an active businesswoman and she cares about the community and she has an idea of, like, there is a social strata and she kind of fits herself in it because that's what she is used to, but she doesn't necessarily respect it like if you're at the bottom tier and you're a fantastic person she'll treat you fantastically if you're at the very very top and you're an asshole she'll treat you like an asshole Mm. um Mm. so like her core is like integrity but she's also she's so focused on being proper all the time that sometimes she forgets to be kind and sometimes Mm. she forgets to be understanding because she holds herself to these these ideals so rigidly that when other people fail to meet them she doesn't understand sometimes and so Great. it's been really fun for me over the course of the, the seasons trying to keep that core of integrity but also having mugwort grow and mm. get kinder and like have that she's lived in this bubble for a very long time every day for the past 40 years has been exactly the same mm. and so she hasn't really had that much opportunity for growth but meeting these other people and seeing these other opportunities and it's been really fun watching her grow but saying it that way made it sound like it was absolutely planned (laughs) and it was not (laughs) like not at all but from step one I I didn't have an idea of like well this is Mugwort and she has a she's a pie shop and she's got kids and that's all I had and then she's kind of like developed without me meaning to and then I just kind of had to catch up if that makes sense Mm, that's like really good insight in like how when creating a character thinking about what they're like core characteristics or things are at the start but then like also not being so wedded to that that you can't think about how they might change over time Mm. yes that's a deep insights carolina there I like it. I haven't reflected on that else yeah. in that way. I don't think. People who like get deep into the rules and play the meta of the game, like they'll do the thing, but like, here's the character that I'm going to build. I've mapped it out to level 20. I know mm. what levels I'm going to take, what features, what feats. And it's like, I know my character as a tool. I don't know my character as a person. Mm. Yeah. Like straight up, if they put a gun to my head and was like, what, what's Mugwort at level 20? I'd be like, I'll pull the trigger. <laughs> I have no idea. Mugwort will tell me what Mugwort is. Yeah. 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 What about you actually? This is like, they'll see as your literal first character. So you've yeah. come in very blank slate what was the process for you like entering this world and making these choices i think at the start i just kind of went in with a 
I didn't watch or read anything about D&D before. Mm. I went in completely blank slate yes. and it was kind of deliberate. It's a crazy, like I wouldn't even know where to start. So I think I was scared that kind of improviser thing of like, I'm just going to like see what happens. Yes. Um, which I think is probably like, I've enjoyed it in that way because you kind of make discoveries along the way. Yeah. There's, there's a real art to just learning it by playing it as well. Like you can read a whole lot about D&D, but you don't really understand what the yeah. experience is until you're in the middle of it. And having you here, I can just ask you questions. So about the technicality it's so that's easy yeah. <laughs> I think it's one of those things as well that because we all have an improv background it's that thing of you go out into the stage and you just start doing a repetitive motion and you might be like oh, maybe I'm sweeping a floor or like I'm you know hanging something onto a line and I remember doing this once and I think it was actually with you Ashley mm-hmm. and I was just doing a repetitive motion of like putting something onto something else I had no idea what I was doing yeah. and then you came in and you were like ah making pasta and I was like cool I'm making pasta uh-huh. I'm making, I and, I, and I think I think that's kind of how we've been doing it a little bit. Mm. Like Damien obviously gives us office, but we also do it with each other a lot. Yeah, yeah. And we've kind of mm. the characters, they haven't been built in a vacuum, they've been built alongside yes. each other. Like I don't think I would have taken Mugwort down the path of being, you know, kinder if my character hadn't pseudo adopted Elsie and particularly um my new Cobalt son. Yes. So like I was being really nice to him and then I was thinking back and I was like what's kind of really harsh to her other kids in comparison and I and then I felt like I was playing yeah, her like yeah. an asshole <laughs> you did like even you were like I think it's early in episode one you're like I just want to specify for the audience that Mugwort is nice to her other children just because she's being real nice to Marvin <laughs> yeah. Backpedal, J-I-C. yeah because you know when you're with a bunch of friends and you're kind of like ragging on each mm. other and you're like ha 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 but you can't just rag all the time yes. you also have to be like affectionate and nice and supportive and I was like I feel like I'm playing Mugwort a little bit too too harsh so like that altered how I was doing it because like Elsie was being really nice to other characters and I was like mm, I, don't wanna, I don't want my character to be the asshole <laughs> I guess it's like that thing of doing the next obvious thing yeah. like yeah you focus on what makes sense to do next rather than trying to plan too far ahead because then you never know what's going to happen in between yeah you never know what's going to happen on the roll like to look too far ahead you end up just doing yeah. a lot of work and it, for something I, that never comes up exactly and i think it keeps you open for other things to come up and like That's your bra- well, your mind yeah. open to think of oh that would be cool like when are you releasing this thing by the uh, way in between seasons two and three. Oh, okay so we can't have okay, cool. too many spoilers about three. Oh no that's fine but like for instance like in the or when whatever episode it was when Elsie was going to stand for council like I hadn't planned that yeah, I remember just like, like literally I was like it just oh this makes right sense because of what it like, set up yeah there. you know considering the and who knows maybe Damien had that planned all along but like it was it was a seed I was dropping and it was yeah. really fucking a good feeling when you just picked it up out of nowhere yeah yeah maybe we're not really thinking of anything maybe Damien's just planted everything in our heads I have subtly manipulated yeah, it's every like single situation I've never seen that movie but I feel like that's yeah. just what it's about right take it take yeah. it one thing at a time don't look too I, far ahead I feel like most of the time particularly when I'm talking it's just like dick joke funny voice dick joke funny voice and then like every second session or whatever I get to have this little monologue that sounds really clever <laughs> and the whole time I have that little monologue I'm like don't fuck it up don't fuck it up don't fuck <laughs> don't it up in my down. head out. Yes, tone. Tone is everything. Let's talk about mm. tones of games. It's something you set up in session zero. It's good to know what people want to do with themselves. I've known that the podcast was going to be humorous, but mm. have made very little effort to add humor in my own designs because mm. I know that y'all would take the piss 
enough and just have fun with what you were doing on the day it's that I wouldn't have to really have funny. that Isn't element. That nice, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's something picking up. Um, it is. It's like, yeah, I don't like, I've, like, I've got a good sense of humor, I feel, but I'm kind of niche and I like, don't like myself as a comedian. Yeah. So I'm just going to tell a fairly plain story, yeah. one that has emotional content to me and then just allow the humor to arise in the way yeah. in which y'all as heroes navigate I feel like plot. it's hard to try to construct humor it's mm. just if you it's have a, a like a lot yeah I don't even think you really need to like if you're in a context where you're thinking about life and relationships there's so many inherently hilarious things about all that just like how our characters interact with each other you just can yeah yeah sort of don't like want to try too hard humor inherent and everything and I think it again goes back to the fact that we're all improvisers because we all have those base skills of like like repetition can make something funny or like callback jokes or like making something like bigger or smaller in a scene or like having a very deadpan response. And I think one of the instances I can really remember us doing like the repetition thing, it was like the dodecahedron thing. The dodecahedron song, which was just like... That whole like random song we just started doing for no fucking reason. I love when we randomly sing, it's my favourite thing. Yeah, and one of the things that... One, two, three. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the things that makes us work for improvisers as well is that we're all focused on telling Mm. a story so if there's like a crowd scene all of us will fill in that crowd scene we don't see it as like oh that's demo's responsibility he builds Mm. the world if it's like we're at a market or we're at a party or whatever we'll tune in and do our own like stupid voices Mm. and things it's a fun little tip for other people playing D&D just get your players to jump into get your players to add ideas I've I've had some great success in my recent like home games of just like encouraging players to contribute more in terms of like what do you want to see or like what's going to happen ask your players to come up with the random encounters that are going to happen that aren't like hardly related to the story and that are just kind of like sideshow pieces Um, because then you know that what you're coming out with is something that they want to see on some level Mm. uh, and will actually interact with do you have any tips for groups that maybe are or like a new D, new DMs or like mm. new groups or my new DM tip is like think about the next session don't think about the whole campaign mm-hmm. um when we started Cerulea as a show, I had already been playing a home game, like a, a, my own campaign for six or eight months. And at that point, we were even doing like monthly sessions. So there was this thing where I'm going to spend on balance more time than anybody else in the group daydreaming about the game we're playing. And that's pretty normal for any DM. Even I would put confident money, not like my life savings, but like a weekend out on the fact that I spend more time daydreaming about this game than everybody else at the table put together. Oh, yeah. Um, And when you're playing monthly, that's like that is so much thinking about what could happen or what's going to happen or what this world looks like or what else could be down the road. That by the time I got to session, I'm like, I've got a whole campaign worth of material just like in the back of my head kicking around and like we're Mm going to play for a couple of hours and only half of that time is going to be focused. Uh, And it spun wildly out of control. It was crazy. I had decided to set it in the fantasy Canberra, Mm -hmm. which... The maps for are on my own Instagram page. They're really fucking cool maps. I, it ended up kind of becoming a bit of a Game of Thrones level of mm, that's very cool. intrigue because I'm like every suburb is its own county and every sort of town centre is its own fucking state within this larger kingdom and there are organisations like the Black Mountain Tower is this occult wizard society <laughs> and there's like all of these people playing off against each other uh, and just none of the players were there for that. I was like, all of this crazy intrigue is happening and they're like, well, I mean, none of us actually really, a couple of us are from this country and kingdom, but none of us have titles or anything to worry about. And yeah, it ended up just being way too big for the players to really keep track of. Yeah. And 
I was trying to take it in directions that because we hadn't done a session zero uh, and I hadn't even intended for this to happen. I'd like the session one was really tight. It was like, here's one thing. It's one adventure. I'm going to give you a little clue that leads to a larger campaign MacGuffin. Uh, and then every month, like it got bigger in my head and only ever so much less bigger for the players. Mm-hmm. And by the time we were a couple of years in, it was just unimaginably unbalanced on that side. And it kind of ground to a halt. Um, I've been running my first ever DM game yeah. recently where I've been, you know, actually making a universe and everything. And I kind of looked at it and went, I can't have a Cerulea type world. I can't have a huge plot line because there's no reality in which I know I'll keep track of it because mm. I don't have object permanence. Like if I, while I'm like playing something or interacting with something, the second I like leave the table and I make a concerted effort, my brain just forgets about it until the next time I do it. Mm. So what I've been doing, it's like six or seven sessions murder mystery on a boat like 10 or like 12 characters including the player characters max nice and there's a thing that they have to accomplish and that's it because yeah. i knew if i went big i would go too big and i would get too complicated yes and then i wouldn't actually enjoy it but if i have like 10 characters then yeah. each of them can meet them and i can make them each like individually weird but speaking as someone who's been doing this for the first time ever there was a lot of things i've learned over the course of it that i was like oh i wish I wish I hadn't done that. I have a tendency, and Damien is born the brunt of some of this, is I like to name characters <laughs> stupid things because it makes me laugh. Yeah. But I named two of my characters the Viscounts of Corduroy, but I didn't give them first names. So keeping track of which Viscount yeah, was which Viscount was very difficult. And I named hair. one of my protagonists. I asked my wife to name her. And so her name ended up being like Stony Cotton. Wow. And they just had, like, silly names, and I couldn't... It was meant to be, like, serious, like, like kind of silly, but, like, more like a carry-on film than a straight Agatha Christie mm. murder mystery. But I just couldn't take some of the characters seriously. <laughs> and I definitely, in the first couple of sessions, I definitely didn't take good enough notes. Yeah. Because we were playing every second week. And so by the next week, they were like, where are we? And I'm like... That's a great question. Good fucking question. <laughs> we're on a boat. Yeah, that much I remember. Um, But the one thing I did before we started that I was so so happy I did was I just drew a map of the boat yes. like it was the shittiest little map in the world but it map. was so useful when they were like okay well this guy's been murdered in this room and the captain's room is over here to be able to go well when one of the players was like okay well I was in the library could I hear the murder then I could be like no yeah or yes or like close enough but roll for it or when they were like talking to one of the suspects and they were like where were you and they were like oh I was in the library and they were like no you're not I was in the library like having that that map was the best thing that I did because I could keep track of where everything was mm. so that's something I would definitely recommend and also like I was talking to my my wife about this because she's a writer herself and I was like well I want to do this murder mystery and I want to keep it open to each session the the players can help me like develop these characters because I didn't really go okay the captain is this kind of person and he ended up being like a complete himbo but her advice was okay well you have this overarching thing and you want to drop hints about who this person is and what this person is going to do and how this person is involved so it doesn't matter how you get there just drop hints over the course of the episodes leading up to this conclusion so it doesn't matter if if the captain drops this hint or the navigator or the maid or whatever just someone in this session has to drop a hint leading to this conclusion and that was so good because there's no way you can actually plan x character is going to talk to x 
NPC because they're going to do whatever the hell they want. That's it. That's but just it. having, I need to establish this plot point or yeah. this thing was so useful. That's really clutch. I do the same thing when I'm running an episode of Surrealia. I've got like a three dot points in front of me, kind of like, here's kind of where I think we are and like the most likely thing that needs to happen. The bad guys, such as they are, are going to have like the thing that they get done if, if nobody fucks with them, which is part of your plot and circumstance. But yeah, having, as you said, like a plot point or like my, my hook, the thing that's going to get the players from kind of the area that they're in to the next area that I've prepared for, the next map that I've drawn or the encounter that I'm excited to run, um, having that be free floating in space in your imagination is really fucking great idea because it's like if you hinge it on one particular character they'll either murder that person straight away or they'll skip them entirely and go in a different direction and then you've backed yourself into a corner because you now have to sort of spoon feed them into the thing whereas it's like wherever they go I just I'll be able to drop this coin I as well got completely surprised by one of my players because um, I had to set up a reality in which they got accused of a murder and they'd have to solve it otherwise they'd go to jail and so I just picked one of my NPCs to accuse them and then one of my player characters was like I absolutely hate this person and I'm like yeah, once, I mean there, there are means to an end once an NPC wrongs you man you, you, you like <laughs> never forget for and then death. like in the most recent game I was like okay well my characters like hate this woman so I'm just I'm just gonna kill her to progress the plot line yes. but then they saved her Whoa. and I was like I absolutely did not expect that and I was like gonna use her death as like you know, just another death to progress the plot line, but then like she survived, and I was like, I don't know what wow. to do with her now. So That's I just, brilliant. I just, I've just made her unconscious until I can figure out what to do yes. with her. Like there were, there were a few times where my players were were rolling so that they could discover a piece of the plot line, and I was like, please roll badly, please roll badly. I don't know the I answer. Don't know. I don't yes. know what's gonna happen. Mm. And then they'd like, they'd have to roll something to reveal an answer, and they'd get like a two, and I'd be like, oh no. <laughs> That's cute. The dice, the nature of the dice and how do we use them is a big one. I'm guilty every now and then of like, I just instinctively like calling for roles. So a lot of the time I'll call for a role, even when it's like, this is just a thing that we all kind of know is good and we want to happen. Just say it happens and move the story along. But I'm like, still make make the check. It's good to roll the dice, but then you fail. And I'm like, oh, I love rolling the dice for extremely mundane things. Yeah. Like whenever you're like, I have to like open a jar of pickles or something and you're like roll and <laughs> I'm like, strength. oh damn. Oh, it's pickles. <laughs> My pickles. Yeah. Like rolling for stuff that isn't important either way, then it's like no matter what happens, you're good. Uh, but when it comes to actual plot points and adventure progression, picking the moments where you'd roll the dice is definitely something I've had to learn a bit of finesse on. It's like, if you're going to call for roll as a DM, you need to know or at least have an idea about what's going to happen if in both eventualities. Got to have your success condition. You've got to have your fail condition. If it's only one or the other, then you've just got to say that that's what happens. One of the things I really like doing is picking up a completely random object mm. and justifying later how I'm going to use it. Beautiful. Because it's like a mini challenge for myself. Yeah. Like I'll just be going along. <laughs> that's, that's a classic. Keep it fun. Yeah. And you'll just, I'll just pick up a completely random thing and be like, okay, well now I have to find a reason <laughs> yes. why I've picked this up or why I've done this thing. Yeah. yeah. That's happened a couple of times in the thing when Elsie's like stolen things and then it's sort of worked it back into the story. I mean, sometimes. We made it a thing, yeah. 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 You picked sometimes up it was more significant than other times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stealing random jewels didn't come up, but like taking that random amulet, I was like, oh, great. An excuse 
used to bring the warlocks into the picture. Yeah, yeah. So that was... Or, or the um, the handle of the orb. Oh, the yeah, handle yeah. of the orb. Yeah, that was cute. Yeah. yeah. I know. I was, was like, this will cause problems, but it seems like within her character. <laughs> and that was the beautiful thing about a movement like that, pointing back to Carolina, what you say, of like when a character does a thing and I'm like, I'm not sure what the consequences are. That particular scene was very good in that you just take the thing. I don't. We don't actually need to say the consequence. You just yeah. need to make a note as a DM that that has happened and I yeah, can come back we'll to come that. Come back. Yeah. Yeah, the art of stalling and like not being pressured to come up with answers is a good one to learn, you know. Yeah, back and sometimes you pick them up, sometimes you don't. It depends on the thing. Like, there's definitely are bits of storylines that we've forgotten about. We've done a lot. <laughs> there's been like a plot. Like I was re-listening to it and I realised in the second season there was like a glowing mushroom and we didn't do anything with that yeah. mushroom. Did we ever? Oh, no. It might come back. It might come back. I've it might, it might be growing. It might, <laughs> it might be there. You never know. It might have evolved into something underneath Mugwort's yeah. shop. We have no way of knowing. Yeah, when you're, when you're making shit up, there will be stuff you forget about. Learning to just let go of it. It's like, if we forgot about it, it's because it wasn't actually important. Yeah. If you try to shoehorn it back in, then you might be entering the contrivance state. Um, I've got something that I'd like to put to you two, as there are two Ooh. concepts in the game, okay. mechanically, that are so crystal clear in my mind but I feel like every time I explain it to a new player that it sails over their understanding. And I've never been able to figure out how it is that I can communicate this thing that is to me so very simple in a way that people pick it straight up. And those two things are proficiency and hit dice, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right, as as concepts. Both core pillars of D&D, proficiency specifically is a fifth edition thing that has kind of overwritten the scaling modifiers of like attack and skill points that you were able to individually keep track of Mm -hmm. uh, in older editions. And of course, hit dice has been a thing since the very fucking beginning. Hit dice is in how many hit points you have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I always like people lose hit dice, or like you say, it's a short, take a short rest. That means you get to spend a hit dice to regain hit points. Like, spend a hit dice? Yeah. No, you lost me on that this last one. Okay, well, let me try again. Okay, okay, let me try to explain it. It's crazy. I'm going to explain it to you. Yeah, yeah, you can tell me if I'm right. Okay, so you have your how good you are at certain things. Yeah. Which are your, what do you call them? Your proficiencies. That's your proficiency, yeah. And then you've got your how good you are at that thing in a particular circumstance, mm-hmm. which is like when you roll your D20 or whatever. And then you put that together. Oh, fuck. Now I forgot how to play D&D. <laughs> You're right that it's confusing. Yeah. Um, okay. We can do this. I feel like we can figure out a way to explain yeah. this. What's a hit? Because you've got your hit points. Yeah. So that's like how many, like, that's how you many know, your bar of battery, how much hit points How much have. battery life yeah. you've got left. And then you've got your hit dice. Yeah. What's your hit dice? The hit die is the actual die that, that are determining what your hit points actually are. Oh, like before yeah. you start. You're rolling those dice together and then like that's giving you the total number of hit points that you have. At the start. All together at the start. At the yeah. start. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. So you're level, figuring out how big your battery is every yeah, level, right? That's it. And as you get a better upgrade, you get a bigger <laughs> you battery. Upgrade, you get a bigger battery all the time. Yeah, of course, got that. depending on what class you are, you have a different shape of hit dice. Yeah, because so like, people have different phones. <laughs> and they have different sized batteries. Yeah. Someone might have an old phone. They got a shitter battery. Yeah. Since I'm going to see if this analogy will work the whole way through. Let's Except, see. of course, you've got to count for like the old Nokia brick phone, which actually has the superior battery to any phone. So that's your. There barbarian. are contradictions with that in everything. Yeah. Well, like this is the great thing because your fighters, your martial classes, like fighters and barbarians, who are functionally simpler classes, have the larger hit die. Whereas, like your wizard and your sorcerer, like the spellcasters, who have the most complexity and the most available options have the lower hit dice. Okay, so let's... Fragile. I'll continue my analogy. Okay, so 
You hit die is like what your battery is like on your phone. Yeah. Some of the fancy ones that look like they're going to be real fancy might not have a very good battery. Yeah. Some of the old trusty faithfuls have a great battery. You figure out when you get your phone, you figure out what your battery is like. Yes. Yep. And that's how many model. your battery model. And then you get your however many points you've got. Yeah. Then your proficiency is like. Okay, I'm going to try to continue. Whether it's got like a good camera or a yeah. shit camera mm, or... A little bit, yeah. It's got yeah. good reception or bad reception or whatever. Yeah. And then the things that like test your proficiencies are like test that are like, you know, maybe you get a, a bug in your phone and... <laughs> oh, or you have to do a Zoom call in rural Australia and your phone's like, nope. Or they're like... You don't have proficiency in internet connection. You're going to watch this whole YouTube video and it's going to like eat away your battery. Yes. Mm. I... I'm not going to lie. I was really trying to pay attention when you were talking about math, but my brain went, no. no. And I was thinking about lunch tomorrow. This is... Yeah. Uh, did my phone analogy work better? It did, it did work. Like, see, the mm. thing is, though, I don't feel like I have a great deal of motivation to actually learn how it works. Because if I don't understand, I just go, hey, Damo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even Maybe in the game I'm us. playing, the people I'm playing with have played a lot more than I do. Yeah. So if I do something wrong, they just kindly... Cor- oh, they, yeah, they, yeah. they course correct me and go, oh, did you mean this instead? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. So Maybe that's a technique you need to use. You need to just like, instead of like telling people what it is, like ask them to try to explain it to you. Because mm. now it makes more sense to me. Now I've tried to that's explain it with my analogy. Yeah. I think I understand it more. There are, there are a couple of layers. The other trick, I'll, yeah. I'll throw a barb in your work here because yeah, yeah. ability modifiers then mm. stack in to hit dice. Okay, I can get this in my analogy. This is like your plus whatevers, these yeah. things. So you've got your ability modifier, you've got your proficiency bonus, yeah, and then the questions of what applies to what when you roll the dice. So maybe your ability modifier, uh, sorry, ability mm-hmm. modifiers is like, I don't know, people get those little things they put on their phone that make it look like a fisheye or whatever. You like clip on. <laughs> Upgrades. Um, like, oh, oh yeah, you, you can you get like app. a power bank. Yeah, you get a power bank, you can charge on the go. Mm. Mm. It's like your little juice things that you eat as mugwort. It's like a little power bank. Juice yeah, pies, you, you can get one of like um, those pop things on the back of the phone. Yeah. Maybe like well, you how, keep your cards. Maybe like so, so you, like your constitution is being added to your hit dice every level. Um, mm. So it's like maybe how new your phone is, you know, like an older phone is always going to be yeah. a little bit Or if you remember more, to upgrade it when you get the little things. <laughs> you got to get those software updates. I just never do it that I, I've totally ignored. Uh, my phone wouldn't be working and I partner would be like, uh, have you upgraded? And I'd pull this thing down and it yeah. clearly says you need an update. And I literally was like, nah, because it's always there. And I don't even register that wow. it's there anymore. But now I'm, I'm going to do it when I get home. Um, Watch out. My constitution. My wife is in all realities, except for the physical, a 1800s Victorian dowager. Yeah. She, she can do some forms of technology very well, but there are other forms that just don't work with her brain at all. Mm. And then the other day I was talking to her and I was like, we had to update the camera check-in app because they were adding in another feature. And I was like, oh, have you updated yet? And she was like, no, I don't update my apps. They just do it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not unless you set it to update. Sometimes, sometimes. Uh, I feel like I've just learned something. Technology. Yeah. Hmm. So like I'm, I'm the complete opposite. Part of my morning routine is making sure all my apps are up to date. Oh, nice. Like I do it while I'm like eating, oh, eating my yogurt. Can you just so, send me like reminders every so often? Because I never update my apps. Oh, it's, it's like that's I have random. like a morning routine and that's part of my morning routine. I don't know if it's the same for your wife, but I just like don't think about it. Like I can't be bothered spending the brain power thinking about all that technology stuff. So I just don't. You can't be bothered. Like mm. there's certain things like how computers work. No, 
I just don't think about it. How fax machines work, still don't understand. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think it's really relevant yeah, anymore. I, but like, I, I think ha- it is. I still blows I, my mind. I, I know we have better technology. But how does sneak attack work? There's <laughs> the question. I, I, have this, <laughs> I have this weird thing that like, particularly when the world feels like yeah. I have no control over it because I don't, I like to do things that are individually responsible because it makes me feel like I have Yeah, yeah. Like going to the dentist? Yeah, like going to the dentist or getting my car serviced or like getting the best car insurance or whatever. It (laughs) makes me feel like the rest of the world is cooked, but I'm controlling my one little... And the day I go to the dentist, I'm like like a queen. The one little slice of my reality. So like upping my apps in the morning just makes me feel like I have some semblance of control. (laughs) My life may be a mess, but my phone is in order at the Uh, very least. But my apps are... My apps are pristine. Oh my God. My, um, my like home screen layout is my pride and joy. I've got two screens on my phone. It's like home screen, which is only like five apps and my calendar. And then my second screen, which is anything else. I'll put uh, things in folders. She, she doesn't organize our apps. Ooh. They're all loosey goosey. And I have, oh, mine fr- I have a friend yeah. that organizes her apps by color. And it, it nice. Oh, that would be hard to find them though. No, but she, she always, she's if a very, color oriented, she's, she's a color oriented like, person. I know menu log is orange. I'm going to the orange page. Yeah. Damn, so she knows how it all fits together. Yeah. Everything's orange. Learning like to somehow circle back to the actual topic. Oh yeah. Um, do you know what else is orange? Elsie's dress. Hey, Elsie got hey. orange. Yeah, I'm like, uh, Elsie's the orange. Warlocks. Ashley's microphone uh, yeah, cover. Yeah, this, this is about uh, the warlocks. Character sheets. The world of character sheets is such a thing I have passion for because it's like what information is relevant, how to actually lay it out for you. I've seen some great like ADHD and dyslexia friendly character sheets oh, cool. where things are color coded. Information is less dense. There are symbols on things. So you can a nice big sword for like where your attack rolls are. Different color for every ability score so that you can apply what your ability score is modifying when you're like looking at different things on oh, your sheet. Oh, I like the idea of the colored ones. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, it's like there are few things to keep track of, especially now in 5th edition is much more streamlined, mm. but it's like you've got your... your ability scores the first thing and like the central pillar is oh, i can give you the pencils oh my god are we gonna do some coloring in fuck it why not yeah tell me what um, colors to do go in your ability scores your like primary measure and this is to go into a slightly different tangent on genre like if you're gonna try to design a game with a different genre it's just like choose the abilities the primary kind of character measures that typify your genre that's what kind of gets you in that zone yeah so in D, you know good and even balance between body and mind because of course you need your your warrior needs to be equal to your magic user so I'd go like strength, I would go red, dexterity, blue. I think yeah, that's like a, I was just thinking first, blue the first is two. The, go simple. Absolutely. Um intelligence is defo green. I would go wisdom green often. Uh mm-hmm. maybe intelligence purple. And then it's like well you've colored your strength in red, so it's like, okay, if I've got like a weapon attack that is strength based, I can color that in red. Um there's different models of character sheets now where like the skills are their own little field and then there's models where the individual skills are put in the field of their individual ability score that they attach to but I like to be flexible with that so I kind of go both ways on it but yeah because this is a modified d20 system like the way D&D works and there are different game systems where the dice do different things it's like you roll one 20-sided dice when you're having a risky interaction with the world mm-hmm. and that determines whether you've been successful or failed based on the the number that you need to roll equal to or better then. And the cool thing about D&D and like why it's so spectacular is because we're rolling 1d20, the variance is so high. You know, spectacular failure and spectacular success are just as likely as pure mediocrity. Whereas in a dice pool game where you're rolling like three dice and you're hoping just for one of them to be good, chances are you're going to have a decent success, but your chances of yahtzeeing on like 3d6 is way lower than mm-hmm. your chance of rolling a nat 20. 
Also, um, this is an aside and like cut this out. Mm-hmm. Well, the second that you are like great success and great failure as exactly as likely as mediocrity, my brain went just like making love to a woman. Pretty good. Um, and what modifies being congested? There's, there's a great discussion as to what role is making love. Oh. You know, like what ability. I, uh, I is think it depends on the it's stage. A bit of everything. So yeah. like, full plays oh, dexterity. <laughs> what about a bit of charisma? A bit of charisma? No, no. I feel like charisma is like before. Like charisma comes first. Pre, pre, yeah, yeah. pre like that's Courting, date night. Courting is charisma. Full play is dexterity. Yes. Peak is constitution. Yeah, right. That's great. Yeah, you got to make it a multi-layered thing. I love doing that. What color are we going to make to stack? Uh, dexterity blue. Blue. And it's a game of stacking modifiers. This is where like proficiency gets kind of confusing when we're trying to talk to people about it because you kind of had the right idea actually of proficiency specifically represents how good you are at stuff Mm. but proficiency as a single number is tied to your level as a character it starts at Mm. plus two it goes up by small increments every few levels so it's a very static resource the thing that is dynamic as a character is what exactly your proficiency is applying itself to so it's like because you're a first level character your level of how good i am at stuff is just plus two to the die roll yeah the question is what talents do you have which is inherent what, what saving throws are key to your class, what skills you've chosen to take proficiency in, whether you want to be athletic or stealthy or insightful or knowledgeable. Mm. I mean, it kind of makes sense if you think about, like, as a human, kids have a base level of how good they are at stuff because yeah. they're, like, a child and they're not a fully grown human. Yeah. They might have stuff that they're, like, a bit better at yeah. than other things, which would be, like, your character-specific yeah. stuff. Or they might be hyper-trained and have, like, an expertise, which is... Yeah, like or if they've the done classes in something. Yeah. Yeah, if you think about it in that. Yeah. And that way you have your ability scores represent your actual, like, innate talents, right? Which are... Which are the actual ability modifiers. Like, Elsie's got a plus three dexterity. She's yeah. just naturally agile and graceful. Anytime that Elsie chooses to apply her dexterity to the skill, she's, she's going to be good. And she has proficiency in stealth. She is not just naturally graceful she's learned to be yeah, stealthy yeah, yeah. she's done the practice of staying out of sight and sneaking the yeah. sneaking mm, the cheese so it's sense. like how good you are depending on like yeah the kid metaphor like how old you are mm. just as a broad thing how good you are based on your sort of innate skills yeah and then how good you are based on your mm. things you've trained in shoes and practices yeah. um yeah so like three levels that's it and then like weapons and armor is a thing that people can often get tied up in as well because proficiency can apply to to weapons how good you are at using the weapon um the fact that your ability modifier applies to your weapon attack roll, because like, I'm choosing to attack, so I'm using the standard formula of the game. Roll a d20, add your proficiency if it applies, add the most sensible ability modifier in all cases, and then see if it beats the number. And then it's like roll damage, mm. which also applies the ability modifier that you've just added, but not the proficiency modifier that you've just added. Mm. And it's a different die depending on the weapon. <sighs> One of the that things I have definitely learned about myself as a player in particular that if given the i'm terrible at min maxing Mm. I am min-maxing, so like creating a character and organizing the stats and everything perfectly so that it makes the most sense for your character. I am terrible at that, absolutely terrible, because that's not fun for me. Like if my character is just good at all the things I'm meant to be good at, then there's there's no element of challenge. It doesn't amuse me. My favorite thing, particularly when I have been allowed to just do my own thing um, between the seasons of this. Yeah. We were playing a game with Ewan. Yes, the Seven Seas. The Seven Seas one. And uh, you get like 100 points. Yeah. And you get to put that into like everything. And, and I elected 
to put basically a third of all of my points into making my character unbelievably gorgeous because that entertained me and the yeah. whole time i was doing it i remember ewan was like are you sure is this a good idea and i'm like ewan yeah. i have the attention span of a five-year-old i need to entertain myself otherwise i will not pay attention to what you're saying and i ended up making a character that was incredibly beautiful yeah always shirtless and oiled which may have inspired you <laughs> maybe he was carrying that and i had a i had <laughs> a bear go. called boris yes it was canonically smarter than i was <laughs> and i spoke yeah. two languages none of which were none any of, of which... the languages the party play <laughs> yeah so the whole time <laughs> i was like i was like i want to play a himbo and it's yeah. the only thing i am interested in doing this is how i want to play the game yeah and i think that's my attitude for things like i don't really Let's care yeah. very fun situations mm. like it creates beautiful circumstances oh, like in the other game you were running where i was playing a barbarian hobbit called bungo bone yes. stealer and I, we rolled all the it's stats randomly yeah and i had like no constitution you had like, great constitution you had no strength yeah i had no strength yeah. which is terrible for a barbarian and <laughs> i remember you were like are you sure you want to do this and i'm like yeah it's fucking funny i have to like make this work because that is what makes sense for the character. Yeah. And I think personally, in both of those instances, if I had made a decision that actually made sense, I wouldn't have had nearly as much fun. Yeah. Because it, I need an element of silliness, personally. What did we say before? So, well, Constitution's an interesting Yellow? one. Yellow's probably a pretty good one because Constitution's an interesting stat because the only thing it applies to is hit points. Mm. Only ever comes up as hit points and constitution saving throws. It's like your vitality. Um, Where's my hit points? So yellow can be good because, of course, yellow doesn't really show up when you're coloring stuff in. So it's good for it to be not very common because you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna see it once you <laughs> once you write it down. But I like it. Also plays into red, blue, yellow as a as a trinity of color, which I think is a very mm. very smart way to arrange things because you wanna you wanna line between your physical and your mental. It's good to just have that mm. divide in your brain. So yes, and make the other ones like the purples, and purple, the... orange, green. Let's do it. It's quite fun actually coloring in. Maybe I'll bring some coloring in. Hey. I find it like sometimes it's easier to concentrate. It is, yeah. A lot of people like to have a small manual thing that they do that doesn't pull focus. I'm a guy who like needs to do stuff with my hands as well. So like I have trouble editing sometimes because I'm like I'm playing with my dice and I make a little clicky clack sounds and it gets all through the microphones. Oh. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't like, constantly fidget I with my dice. I don't think I've come to a single session where I didn't either bring something to sew. Yeah. Or something to draw. Your little drawing thing's or, cool. Or both. Yeah. Because if I don't have something to do with my hands, my brain doesn't pay attention. Yeah. Or important. I interrupt all the time. Mm. You don't interrupt all the time. She's always going doing something that. with the hands and keeping that uh, keeping that mind. Intelligence retained. purple, guys. I reckon so. Or wisdom purple. Mm. Or even charisma, like charisma. Uh, so we're gonna put, this is going to be one. Is, is, yeah, this purple is, is typically one. the color of royalty. Orange is quite a gregarious color, though. Mm. So that could be charisma. Yeah. But it's also like it's the hot color. So I like hotness for charisma is, is quite. I would really like to play a campaign where everyone plays the bad guys, mm. where you we, where you are trying to hilarious. where you are actively trying yeah. to destroy the world we did one session of that with the you know the game of thrones campaign that kind of spun out off the rails like elizabeth made a character that again because of lack of session zero or because of lack of clear communication about what we were trying to build together was wildly unsuited to the party but was a very interesting character in its own right and so we were like, okay, this character that you've built is a straight up bad guy. You want to think of it as a hero, like cool. But the way you've built it means that everyone in the party is going to read it as not a person they want to hang out with. So we let's lean into that, split them off, send them away to the place where the bad guys are and, and make her a bad guy. And then it was always just going to be maybe me and her kind of deciding what was going on in between adventures and 
at one point an opportunity arrived to run something at my dad's place like while the old dm had taken a break and i was like holy shit you know what let's like get sora out into a group of people and say all right guys like let's do the thing where we take the identity of this character and their ambitions and recognize them for what they are and say, okay, we're going to play the bad guys. We're going to try to be the people doing the megalomaniacal society takeover. And it was wildly fun. And I've never, ever, 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 ever had such an engaged table because everyone was kind of, everyone was in control of their shit. You know, normally I like an underdog party who are sort of struggling to make ends meet and make doing accomplish their goals. And it's like, you guys are, you're entrenched in society. You have resources. The question is just what you want to do with them. And the more ambitious you are, uh, the more likely <laughs> repercussions occur. And they, they went absolutely butt fucking wild. It was awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. Mm. Um, one of the other things I think we've done in the past, which I really enjoyed, it was the same session that I made Bungo, was we endowed each other with yeah. things you'd never do. So, like, I think one of the characters ended up being illiterate, but wouldn't admit <laughs> to yeah. being illiterate. Like, he was very stubborn. Yes. Um, I remember I, That's I, fun, having I, that endowing. I really like characters and interacting with other player characters, but they have a very strong idea of who they are and how the universe works, and they're just wrong. Yeah. So I played a game once where one of the players was playing uh, an orc, who was firmly of the belief that he could speak Welsh and worked as a grave digger. And both of these things were wrong. <laughs> so um, yes. he didn't, he couldn't speak Welsh. He yeah. just spoke random gibberish and everyone was too polite to tell him wow. otherwise. And he thought he worked as a grave digger, but in reality, he just slept at the church and the priest was too kind to tell him to go away. So he was just digging random holes. And the next day, the priest would, would fill them in and dig them when yes. it was supposed to be. Aww. But he was also afraid of the dark. And whenever he was like put in a dark room, he would just try to like, do magic or something in Welsh. Yeah. And it never worked. And it was just perfect because the person playing this played it so so straight. He didn't play it as like a joke or anything. Yeah. It was just like this was his character's reality and it was brilliant. How did all of those choices come to pass? Is that an element of people giving them shit to play with or were they just um, coming up with it kind of happened ideas for themselves? organically over time. Oh, yeah. So like for the speaking Welsh, originally that was just a language that he knew, but then he rolled proficiency to communicate with another Welsh speaker and he just completely fluffed it. Yes. And the DM went, you don't actually know how to speak Welsh. Ooh. And yeah. it, the, the, the player was like, fuck yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. The jump and justifies crazy. Endowment is something that I've played with. When I play with improvisers, it's like, let's give each other character offers because it's going to, again, it's going to put us in our flexible headspace right away. We're already receiving ideas from our players and supporting them in our own choices. And it's something I saw when I started playing with the people from the improv classes I was taking and then going back to like playing with my brother and his friends. Like my younger brother has, he took the nerd sword up real fucking hard. He plays all of the RPGs like five days a week. It's crazy. And... The difference in tone at a table of storytellers versus at a table of gamers is the yes and no but line, you know, where it's like an improviser comes up with the idea of going, okay, my character's going to try and do this. Somebody goes, yeah, that's great. I'll help in this way. And the DM goes, all right, we're on it. Let's make some rolls and let's see how that plans out. And then maybe it it fails spectacularly and we all have great fun. Whereas in a more, I want to say like typical or like older school mentality, somebody will have an idea and somebody else is like, nah, but what about this? And someone's like, nah, but what about this? It's like, 
We all want to have the idea that is the good idea that gets us from one situation to the next one. And that ends up chewing up just huge amounts of time of people spitballing when the first idea was fine Mm. and not taking on other people's stuff for themselves. I think one of the things that happens with improvisers as well is that when it goes wrong, it's not necessarily bad mm. it's also an opportunity if that makes sense yeah. so like yeah. if you're if you're doing a scene or you're doing a bit in a game yeah. and someone rolls badly you're not like oh damn we absolutely needed to do that to make the story progress you kind of just go well actually no offer is a bad offer yeah. and you just course correct and go well that didn't work how can we use that to make something else work or how can we use it as a character building opportunity mm. or mm. that's part of player flexibility and dm flexibility something i have to be quite conscious of is like i love the antagonistic mindset a lot of the time uh, and you're in the the dm's chair where like it's like i've got to play the bad guys like i have to have in my head the personalities who are actively working against you and are trying to cause all of these problems and at the same time i need to be outside of those characters supporting your choices as heroes so that you do eventually win the game right like the heroes have their happy ending that's the thing that's going to be satisfying so it's very easy for me to get back into that mindset of just playing the bad guy against you and being very happy when everybody loses and the bad guys win anyway because frankly i liked scar a hell of a lot more than i liked mufasa Mm. but watching him go down is very satisfying so yeah um, you mean mufasa or scar (laughs) both frankly they were great scenes (laughs) Yeah, it's just a, a mindfuck sometimes. You've got to be flexible. Just a metaphor for life, really. Yeah. Yeah. Be a well, player's biggest fan is a great well, thing that I've seen out there on the internet that I've tried to be a keep in my own brain. At the end of the day, the point of D&D is to have fun. Yes. And to have fun with your friends. And if you're having a miserable time, then you haven't succeeded. Mm. And I think kind of the attitude that I bring to it is take it seriously enough that it's not a joke, yeah. but not so seriously it's a chore. Mm. So you should still be having fun, but if all you do is really silly stuff and you don't take any of it seriously, then it doesn't have any emotional weight. Mm. And There's no like, investment. You can also like compromise the experience for, for others as well. Mm. And like on a fundamental level as well, humans of any age need to have an aspect of play mm. and need to have an aspect of creativity, cre- and, creativity and creative output because that's how we deal with the stresses of the world and how we compartmentalize and understand the world that we're living in. We understand it through stories and through human interactions. And so having that balance of it's fun, but it's also meaningful is really important. Otherwise, on that fundamental level, you're not experiencing that cathartic creative output. You're full of so many nuggets today, Carolina. Thank you. Just like a turn it on. Just like a font. Bucks of chicken nuggets. I love chicken nuggets as a Chicken nuggets are great. This is like my whole jive, like performance stuff and understanding performance. Yeah. And like, I don't care for Aristotle. Um, th- I don't care for Aristotle. <laughs> I think he's a- I'm only for Plato. <laughs> I don't care for him either. Aristophanes. But, but Aristotle has a really good uh, thing about like why we need tragedy and why we need sad stuff and why yes. it can't be all happy all the time because you need that cathartic outlook. But also it can't be all cathartic, all tragedy all the time. Like there's a yeah, real trend yeah. at the moment for everything that's grim, dark and serious and that makes it important da, 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 da. and we don't get to have silly batman anymore with rubber bat nipples it all has to be <laughs> <laughs> but like you also you need silly uh, and lighthearted as much as you need dark yeah. and serious yeah. because the human brain needs both it's a like, function it's yeah, like in so the all. later harry potter movies i remember some of them are bits of really funny like hilarious because so much of the mm. movie is like 
dark and serious and it makes the especially like the later parts yeah especially crazy. the later few ones it makes the humor even more important yeah. and like even more special it's why like when people go through like really terrible life events and stuff you can have that sort of like joking about it that's it's a cathartic it. funny in a way you know after is the best release but if it's mm. only silly all the time then nobody has any actual yeah, investment get. there's yeah, no, it, there's it, no it, care it, you're not gonna it hear needs any depth notes. as well for it to like make sense and um i was watching a thing the other day about and i quite like the marvel movies as a whole mm. um they're not the deepest movies in the universe but they're fun and movies yeah, are allowed well to be fun but one of the criticisms that i've seen of them which i think is broadly accurate so it's like whenever a character is having a dramatic meaningful moment they'll undercut it with a joke so, like, the examples they used were the Doctor Strange. Yeah. There's this moment where he's, like, putting on his magic cloak properly for the first time. This dramatic moment of accepting who he is and accepting his position. And the music swells. And then the cloak hits him in the face. And it's funny, but it continuously happens across all of the Marvel yeah. movies. Like, in the third Iron Man film, there's the scene where, like, Tony Stark is summoning the remote armor to himself. But just before it gets to him, it smashes into a thousand pieces. And he doesn't get that dramatic moment of getting his armor back. And that's fine here and there because you have to undercut stuff sometimes. It's like hanging a lantern on it and going, this is still a fun movie. This is a movie you can laugh at. But if you do it too often, it undercuts the actual Mm. underlying meaning. And like everything has to have an underlying meaning for it to have an emotional impact Mm. on you. And if you undercut all of those moments, sure, you'll get an easy laugh. Yes but it won't stick with you. And you've got to set up the more complete one first and then you can mess with it. You know what I mean? Like you've got to like know the rules and set the rules before you can like twist it with a joke occasionally, you know? And that isn't to say that you can't have a dramatic moment and then undercut a character. Like they have a bit in Guardians of the Galaxy where they all stand up dramatically and then Rocket goes, now we're all standing on the circle like idiots. And having that with his character Mm. makes sense because that's his sense of humor. Mm. But if it happens to all the characters all the time, the the underlying message it's sending to the audience is if you have a dramatic moment, if you have a moment of realizing your identity or rising above something, don't take it too seriously. Don't actually lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. Man, maybe I need to have some more deep nuggets. moments in Elsie. Not, not fuck around. Yeah, Elsie's so got to find some nuggets. I said the same, like when I'm teaching the same concept, I love to use the line of like, there's a reason they call it a gag. Like it cuts oh. both ways. If you keep making gags, you're literally stuffing a cloth in the mouth oh. of the scene. You're pulling the cord on the tension, right? Like tension is a balloon. It's constantly inflating. The gag pops the balloon. Now there's no coming back from that. The balloon has to be reinflated, redesigned. We need to build up again. Oh man, do I make too many gags, guys? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you can do that. Like they do that a lot in yeah. in horror movies, particularly That's in it. slasher movies. But like the protagonist the needs to pop the, somehow. The, the protagonist will go outside and she'll hear a spooky noise, and then turns out it's just a cat. And you're like, oh, it's just uh-huh. a cat. But also, we've all watched slasher movies. We know eventually it's not just going to be a cat. Yeah. So it's fine to pop that bubble, but it has to be popped. For a reason, it has to be popped so that the tension can rise mm. again. Because there's a point where you just get too filled, and then it gets boring. That's but what? having it released means it can build again. Yeah, but yeah, it has to be mm. it has to be an intentional thing. Yeah, for it to actually progress the plotline, for yes. it actually to keep the tone accurate. <laughs> if you're just undercutting it because you're afraid of having a meaningful moment because you want it to be yeah. a fun movie, we saw it. No, okay. it's not intentional. Talking about then. a fun movie, we watched Elizabeth and I jingle all the way. 
the other night, the Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> fucking like action figure Christmas fucking movie. Fucking love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, yeah. And it was like the whole time we were watching it, Elizabeth is like, you know what? There's the, there's a sleazy neighbor who's trying to sleep with Arnie's wife the whole time. And Elizabeth's like, I'm with this guy. Like this guy, he's, he's warm. He's caring. He like sees her for who she is. He's trying to treat her well. Arnold's character is just like business all the time. No care about family. Got to get things done. Like I'm just going to buy my kids love back with an action figure that it'll be fine. And there's the moment where Arnold's character hits his absolute low where like he's tried to get this toy and he's failed and failed and failed and it's Christmas fucking Eve and like his neighbor's out fucking showing the reindeer that he's got to the kids of the neighborhood and Arnie sneaks into the guy's house because he knows that he has the same toy for his son. He tries to steal the toy and then like setting the house on fire and he's running away from the reindeer which is chasing him around and shit's going off. And yeah, it is like you're supposed to be the protagonist, but you're doing just dickhead moves Mm. on. And then uh, at one point he's chasing the reindeer. That's one of the beats. He locks the reindeer in the study and gets to the Christmas tree and then the fire and then he gets found out. And so his wife has just fuck off moment and she leaves and Mm. (laughs) the the old mate whose house he's standing in uh, gets to have that moment of we are fucked up now. And so Arnie's sitting there and we have this moment of actual pathos of being like this guy, he's hit his rock bottom. We as the audience have also now lost empathy for Mm. him because he's done something that isn't just a shenanigan. That's like, that's an objectively terrible thing. You've tried to steal from a child. You've like set this Mm. guy's house on fire. And it is like, as a writer, how do you come back from that? What do you choose to do? The reindeer kind of busts out of the study, charges Arnie. And it's like, what is the most Arnold Schwarzenegger thing you could possibly do right now? He goes, man, you picked the wrong day. And he fucking decks the reindeer. <laughs> he just gives us a fucking right hook. Reindeer collapses and Arnie walks out of the room. And Elizabeth and I just shat ourselves laughing because it was the perfect uh, gag. It was the perfect yeah, yeah. pop for this balloon. It was so, I answered Arnold as an actor, um, as well as just being the stupidest, most ridiculous thing that kind of brings the audience out of that moment of being like, Oh man, this guy's a bit of a dick. How yeah. do we root for him again? <laughs> he knocks out a reindeer. Yeah. Oh yeah. I feel like we, I just went on like a little journey of so many thoughts just then. That was fun. Wow. That was lovely. Thanks guys. Facilitate. Tangents aside, D and D is a is a role playing game where there's a few numbers to keep track of, mm. but you know, usually somebody at the table has an encyclopedic knowledge of the rules. You can just ask them about it or Google. If they don't, you can Google it. You can check Reddit, uh, or you can just make it up as you go along. And rulings over rules is like one of these little little threads. Oh, yeah. It's like if you're trying to run a game and you don't have a, a comprehensive understanding of how it's supposed to work, and nobody else at the table has my level of the mechanical truth of mm. the game mapped out in their fucking head for no reason. Just make the call that makes sense. Yeah. Keep it moving yeah. and try to support what your players are doing. Yeah, no one, there's no and like D and D police coming around yeah. to to check on you. That's it. Or are they? Yeah. Any other closing thoughts? Oh yeah, thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I think you should make YouTube videos about all this sort of stuff. Oh, there are a lot. Maybe of, we should have another podcast. We just there. get some. We can just call it Nuggets from Carolina. <laughs> Carolina Nuggets. Sounds like, that sounds like a shitty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just shit. the worst fucking ASMR. Uh, <laughs> I love it. We're gonna have to keep Plop. the name now. Splash. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, yeah, I so, learned so much, guys. Awesome. I'm reflecting. I'll be reflecting on that all night. Lovely. Well, we will uh, see you on the next one. If this, if this does, in fact, come out in between seasons, you've, you've got one and two. If you haven't listened to them, there's some great adventures. And season three is coming up soon thereafter. And uh, being halfway through it right now, we can tell you that there's some, there's some cool and crazy shit going on in and season we don't three. Even, we don't even know half of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have core <laughs> characters. We have a few guests coming in, which is great. Adds a lot of energy. Delightful. Yeah. Absolutely scrumptious. Absolutely <laughs> Scrumptious. Simply, like a nugget. Abs- absolutely splendid. Absolutely. absolutely.
thanks. You can follow us at Cerealia Podcast on Instagram. Same handle on Facebook. You can keep up with the shenanigans. What about the ore panel. And, Sorry, and if you feel like supporting us on Patreon, that would be uh, yeah, lovely. That'd be neat. Got Patreon. I believe the <laughs> first tier is like subscriber-specific posts where you get soundtrack for the podcast, which I work very hard on. There's a monthly bonus episode. Some of it's campaign stuff. Some of it's in character. Some of it's out of character. And there's a tier where you yourself get to add to the show. Third tier of support cool. is calling for player offers for NPCs, locations, and random encounters. Uh, so if you want to engage in that audience input, you can do that as well. I'm Damien Ashcroft. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Carolina. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Damien. As always. Thank you, Mysterious Shape, which hovers in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Love each other, ask questions, and uh, think deeply, you little nuggets. Think deeply and be ready to let go of your ideas after you roll them bones. <laughs> Shit, yeah. That's all. You should just put that on instead of the music. I could do an acapella arrangement at the end of the theme. It would be pretty bitchy. Yeah, I'd be like, boom, 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 boom.